Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, I'm ready. Hi, Justin. Hi. When you think of a fancy watch, what do you think of? A Rolex. It's a Rolex, a fancy watch. I suppose so. Would you say that it's to die for? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Teddy. And I'm Justin Ting. Justin Ting Chiling. <laughs> and today on A Brief Case, we are looking at the Rolex mother. Jonarin's Bud Lisha was born around the mid-1970s. He was born to a Singaporean mom. Her name was Elizabeth Seed. And a Malaysian dad, we don't know his name because, you know, Elizabeth and his dad, right? They have two children. So that's Jonarin and his brother. And if I'm not wrong, they are both born in Malaysia. So they are both Malaysian citizens. Um, but their marriage isn't so great. So they get divorced, which happens like all the time, right? And so Elizabeth moves back to Singapore with her two kids. And she meets this guy, Robert. And Robert is kind of like a shitty stepfather, okay? They have two kids of their own. So in total, Elizabeth has four children. Jonaris, Jonaris' brother from the first marriage. And then the two kids from the second marriage with Robert. And you can tell that they're pretty rich or like comfortably middle upper class. So they live in a semi-D in Bagonia Drive, which is oh, in... Oh, damn. Damn, that's too close to home. <laughs> there was a murderer near us. You could have, like, met into him, run into him. And this is, like, a recent case I'm on, okay? Damn. Okay, allegedly, allegedly, according to Jonaris, his childhood is kind of shitty. Like, he says his mom and his stepdad were, like, abusive and growing up with them was, like, a living hell. So these are, like, the fucked up things that they made him do, okay? They would make him, like, kneel for hours, which is, like, you know, the Guantanamo Bay stress position. Oh, damn, yeah. Yeah. So they would get the clothes packs on him to his, like, ears, his fingers, his lips, and his tongue, which is damn weird. Uh, they would make him chew raw chili, which I cannot do, lah. I cannot eat chili. And they would make him stand in front of a mirror for, like, hours. So, like, you know, you just stand and stare at the mirror for hours for, like, psychological torture. Oh, that's crazy, man. Right. And Justin, were you keen? You were keen, right? Yeah. Yeah, they were also keen him. And this one is a bit controversial because some parents, they like support keening. Uh-huh. But like, <laughs> like our other guest, Michelle, she was keen and she said it was a good thing for her. So apparently, Jonaris was keen so much that at some point, he like didn't freaking care anymore. Like, he wasn't getting a reaction of him, right? So his, his mother and his stepfather, they would use like a belt. Uh-huh. Like an actual belt, you know, like with the metal and the leather and everything. It sounds like the beginning of Bates Motel. <laughs> the Friday the 13th killer, yo. Yeah. So these are super fucked up allegations, right? Uh-huh. But from the articles I read, right, the mom, Elizabeth, she admit she admitted that she used to punish him severely. Like she didn't admit to like the specific things that she did, but she used to punish him quite badly from 3 to 14 or 15. So it sounds like there's some truth to that. 
So I think they were also a bit negligent because you know Solita Hill Estate only recently they started covering up the drains, right? Mm-hmm. So when he was eight, he actually fell into a drain and I think because of that, he had this history of headaches and you know, like with a lot of serial killers or just like people who end up being a bit crazy, um, they have some like early childhood head trauma there. Yeah. So that's, the physical part of his shitty childhood. So now we have to look at the mental part of his shitty childhood. So according to Jonaris, when he was growing up, him and his brother were treated like they were outsiders, like they weren't part of the family at all. And that like quite fucks up kids. Lah. So allegedly, his mom told him to tell other people that him and his brother want her kids, that they were her nephews. Oh, right? damn. Yeah, there's like abandonment issues. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but again, Elizabeth didn't sound like she denied it. According to her, it was like her husband's mom, so Robert's mom, her mother-in-law, that brainwashed her husband Robert into forcing them to call her nephews. Oh, man. But like, they're adults, right? So they should like, they should know better. Yeah, exactly. So with this kind of childhood, he grew a little bit messed up. So he became a chronic liar. He was pathological. He was a pathological liar. Do you know any pathological liars? So he would tell people that he was dating an airline exec who was earning like 10k a month and lived in a condo when in reality she was somebody entirely different, okay? Then he would lie on small bullshit like he was using a DuPont lighter. What's a DuPont lighter? I have no idea. Apparently it's like, right? So he would say that the lighter was like 2k when it was actually less than $700 because like, which is like damn nonsense because like $700 is already a lot of money to pay for a lighter, okay? Anything more than $2 is expensive. (laughs) So he would borrow money from his friends and never pay it back, which is also kind of messed up lah. And that said, with everything, he grew up to be like a semi-contributing-ish member of society. Like, he didn't do nothing. Like, he wasn't just bumming around. Like, he became a freelance assistant cameraman and prop assistant to, like, Hollywood. Except not Hollywood, except his... Yeah. And, but a job is a job. And for most months, I think he took home, like, 2K. Yeah. Okay. So the thing is, even though he was earning money, he wanted to pretend to be like real fancy, but that he was always in debt or he was always borrowing money. He was just super financially irresponsible. He like valued appearances over everything. Like he would tell people that he lived in a bungalow with a swimming pool when really a semi D is not that okay. It's like comfy. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't steal from the mother or the father. Or mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think given that his parents were like a bit I wouldn't say psycho or a bit like that. Uh (laughs) I think he was so scared to steal from them. Uh, True. Yeah. Okay, so now we've gone through his childhood. We've gone through his younger-ish adulthood. Let's talk about his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Jonaris met his girlfriend in October 1997. And Yabon met her while she was working. And you want to guess where she was working? I'll give you a clue. It's near where I live right now. Oh damn, she's a hooker. <laughs> she a hooker. Okay, her name was Siphon Namnu. And I think Is it that was... her stage name or her real name? That's her real name. Oh shit. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> uh wait, she has a stage name also, okay. Um I think it was her bad luck to date him because she actually sounds like quite a nice person. And you know you should never name your Johns. So her nickname, right? Stage name, whatever you wanna call it, was Ling. Ling Ling, okay. Ling Ling, like. <laughs> yeah, also easier to pronounce, you know. So she was a 
Thai lady of the night, if you want to put it nicely. And she had a trio kid back in Thailand. So, you know, nobody really wants to do this job, but you can tell, like, this is for her a job is a job lah. So because they both have very unfortunate lives, Jonaris felt like Ling understood him, like she could empathize with him and vibe with him and all that. And their relationship seems pretty chill. And because I think at sometimes she quite liked him too, like it wasn't that transactional for her. Like, let me give you an example. She actually loaned him 7k. Oh, damn. Yeah, like your your hooker girlfriend have to loan you 7k. It's a bit like... Yeah. Yeah. And she never pressured him to give it back. And she even gave money to her pain. So that they can spend time together. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, why are you going to do this, girl? You, you're too good for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at some point of time in their relationship, she mentions to him that she used to be married and her ex-husband gave her a Rolex. And she had to pawn it in 1995, so about two years before she met him, to help out a friend, like whatever that means. But it meant a lot to her emotionally. And she did miss it. And Jonaris being the good boyfriend that he is, he started to like think about it a lot. He started to obsess with it. Like he would dream about it. So on 18th April... 1998, Jonaris is working on a set, like a film set. And there's a lot of people on a film set. I've been an extra for one of my friend's student films. There are really a lot, a lot of random people on the film set. Oh, and the color fair. Yeah, it's so yeah. fun. So one of those people was called Sally Po Bing. Sally was 42 years old at the time. And she was married to a teacher called Lee Boon Siang, who was 47, and they have two kids together. The kids are grown up, and she was working as a makeup artist on the set. So, quite cute lah. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like, the father is a teacher, the wife is a makeup artist, they got two happy children together. Very wholesome. I saw her pictures also. She looks super nice. She looked like a nice auntie. Mm-hmm. So, Sally had this diamond-studded Rolex watch. And it immediately catches Jonari's attention. Like, he wants it damn badly for his girlfriend's birthday, which was coming up. So he comes up with this plot. The next day, on 19th of April, he calls Sally, ring ring, and he pretends that he's a client. And he's like, hello, I need your services for a photo shoot. And then he offers her double her usual fee, which is like 1K. And she accepts because it's a good deal, right? Yep. So he tells her to go to Marina South Bus Stop, which is near Super Bowl Golf and Country Club, which is closed down now, which is basically the place that used to be next to Gardens by the Bay. Okay, so now it's 6.30 a.m. on 20th April... 1998 which is a monday all right so she drives to the bus stop and it's very ulu and empty jonaris walks up to the car and tells her that nigel oh so she calls him pretending to be this guy called nigel Mm -hmm. yeah and the rest of the crew are going to show up soon so sally parks her car and sits at the bus stop to wait with him because everything seems kind of legit but she saw him on set before yeah so he takes out the hammer like they're sitting next to each other on the bus stop she takes out a hammer he hits her on the head. Oh, man. Yeah, and then he drags her to the bushes like 10 meters away, okay? Because it's them Ulu. Last time Marina Bay was them Ulu. And he's not done. So he wants to make sure that she's like dead, right? Yeah. So he, he has a paper cutter with him and he slits her wrist. And then she, she doesn't immediately die. She tries to get up again. But then he grabs the hammer that he used to initially hit and her with. Her yeah, he hit her oh, at the shit. back of the head again. He hits her like 10 times until she blacks oh out. My God, this is psycho. Right? And her injuries are so bad, there's a crack on her skull like 13 cm long. And even the forensic team was like, if she had received medical attention like there and there after the hits and everything, if it wasn't Ulu, uh, she still wouldn't have lived. Damn. Yeah. 
So Jonaris, he got what he wanted. And the way that he described it was that he was very intensely relieved. He went home to take a nap. And when he woke up, he thought it was a dream until he saw the watch. Holy shit, what a psycho. (laughs) And on the same day after the killing, right, he actually showed up at his workplace at 2.30 to collect his pay. Holy cow, this guy has no remorse. But he need the money. Somebody called a popo. (laughs) His colleagues were even like, oh, Jonaris was acting normal, huh? Yeah. So later in the day, I think probably around evening time, he buys a bouquet of red roses, a cake, a bottle of whiskey, and he brings them to his girlfriend's workplace in Lorong 18 Gelang. Where else? <laughs> and he celebrates probably with her and some other girls there who, you know, probably also worked as uh, ladies of the night. So now for the piece de resistance of the night, he gives her the watch. He gives her the Rolex watch, okay? The fancy watch that he killed somebody for. The fancy watch that is literally to die for. I see. This fun took a while. And she turns around and she was like, Hey, this watch not new. Oh, damn. Yeah, She's so ungrateful. Because the watch is like old and faded and everything. And he gets damn pissed off. I mean, obviously he does because he literally killed for this watch. Yeah. Yeah, but he's, she's like, oh the, oh, the watch not new. And then, obviously, he gets angry and she's like, no, like, joking, joking. But you know, not joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is on the 20th of April. So, Jonaris thinks that he gets away with it. Okay. But three days later, it takes the police three days to track everything down. Lah. Um, they arrest him at Begonia Drive. At oh, his damn. friend's home, yeah. Damn. I mean, for 1998, like, yeah, police work is still pretty good, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, all the forensic stuff, it probably wasn't so advanced. Yeah, right? Okay, kudos to the popo. Kudos to the popo. Okay, so Janaris is really into appearances, like someone that we know. In the court case, he wore a tailored black jacket, gold cufflinks, and his shoes were, like, polished to the point where they were, like, really shiny, to the point that the journalists were like, wow, these guys' shoes are really shiny, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so his defense was was that he was mentally ill because um, diminished capacity. You always want to get out of murder because murder, you either get life sentence or you get... I thought you'd death. die. Yeah. death? Um, hanging or something? It's death by hanging. Mm-hmm. So you always want to go for some sort of diminished capacity charge so that you don't get death. You get maybe like life or you get like... If you're really, really... I wouldn't say lucky, but if your lawyers are damn good, you can get away with as little as like 10 years. And uh-huh. with this thing called remission, you can get away with as little as two-thirds of 10 years. Oh, that's not bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, if you did like something worse, you know, like embezzle and then kill someone or like steal like 100 million and kill someone <laughs> for six years, that's pretty okay. No, like a few people in Singapore did get away with that. I see. Yeah. In episode... For Gabriel Lee, he actually got 10 years and he supposedly, allegedly, we don't know this, Singapore courts don't have records of this, but he allegedly could be out now, which means that he would have only served 6 years and 8 months. But what you did know, he get in return? No, but you know who his uh, lawyer was? Who? 
Like he's basically the president of the Singapore Criminal Law Association. Mm. And he's brother surgeon, so you can see how he got to like pay for a lawyer. Yep. Yeah. And he got the got the diminished capacity, you know, the mental illness. So Jonaris was going for the same thing. He was going for he was mentally ill. He was high on weed, which is a basically like why are you gonna to admit to the Singapore court that you high on weed, bro? <laughs> And that he had depression and that he had a mental illness with the kind of obsession that he had with the watch. Also, he was very stressed out because he borrowed 2k from his mom and his mom was chasing him to return it. Everybody's stressed this day. <laughs> so during the case, they brought in his childhood abuse. And from what I read, the defense was that he heard voices and like hallucinated during the killing. Uh-huh. Yeah, does weed make you hallucinate? No, right? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> So the prosecution wasn't having any of this. So they brought in a psychiatrist, Dr. Chan Kim Yu. So these are the doctor's points, okay? Basically, he had a shitty childhood, but a shitty childhood doesn't immediately equate to mental illness. There are a lot of people with shitty childhoods who go on to do like great things. Yeah. All right. And if Jonaris was really depressed to the point where he killed somebody, he wouldn't have been able to work, he wouldn't have been able to hang out with his friends, and he wouldn't have been able to fuck his girlfriend on the regular. Yeah, yeah. he still went to work as per usual. Collected his money. Yeah. Yeah, if he was really depressed, he would really just be like lying around being depressed, lah, basically. Uh-huh. That's their point. And his obsession with the Rolex watch, according to the doctor, wasn't like really a mental illness. Um, that a real obsessive disorder wouldn't be around owning stuff. Apparently, uh, real obsessive disorders, they are about quote-unquote like horrific and senseless thoughts. Like you think about murdering somebody, you think about pushing somebody in the road over and over again, but you know it's terrible, but it's never actually about, oh, I must, must, must buy this. Uh. Yeah. The judge went and asked the doctor, if somebody was obsessed with buying Rolexes and came to see you, would you consider them crazy? And the answer is obviously like, no lah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the doctor said that Jonaris was able to describe how he killed Sally, how he felt before the attack, which was that he was scared that she would go to the police after stealing her watch, which is what most people would do. So it's to prove a point, right, that this was premediated and that he had a motive. And even the judge said that this kind of action and thinking actually meant that he was probably in control yeah, at that point of time. I'm pretty sure he was aware of all his actions. And yeah, it sounds like on. he planned it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the deputy public prosecutor, he also brought up the point that this whole thing was actually very carefully planned, which it is when we think about it. He gave her a fake name. He killed her. Like, yeah. he sat next to her next to the bus stop and everything. He slashed her wrist to make sure that she confirmed the shop would die. He brought a hammer. He brought a hammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who brings a hammer around? Yeah, who carries a hammer around? Segway, in episode 3, John Martin scripts The Garden City Butcher, he brought a hammer around. <laughs> <laughs> One of Singapore's earliest serial killers, y'all. Okay, yeah, but totally he did. And... It's a bit hard to defend, you know? Yeah. And his parents also don't sound like they will, like, pay for him to have a... Hammer? <laughs> to have, like, a good lawyer. Okay. And before, like we mentioned, he was super focused on money and appearances. So remember, he was earning, like, 2k a month, right? Yeah. But on months when he was hanging out and seeing his girlfriend, because remember, you must pay to see your girlfriend, because she, she a paid lady. Yeah. Yeah. He would be spending like 4k, which is crazy because, I mean, 
Ren aside, I don't even think I spend so much, you know, except for a holiday and birthday months. Do you know anyone who spends like 4k a month? Mm, not really. Right? It's yeah. crazy. But this kid, this like really young kid, like 20-something, he was like spending 4k a month. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's the kicker. Remember his mom? Yeah. During the trial, the judicial commissioner, she he actually asked her, did she consider fit enough to be punished? And most mothers would be like, no, no, my son, he's so, he's crazy. You know, cannot, cannot, cannot. Yeah. Yeah, but his mom was like, "Yes, your honor." No, but in his defense, I mean, she didn't really like him from the start, and she kind of ostracized him yeah. from the family. So this is sort of like understandable to some extent, you know. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Okay, it's debatable, but I'm no lawyer. <laughs> no lawyer. Are we then? Are we then sad lah? Are we then betrayed? Are we like mommy? Yeah. Why you abandoned me? Why you abandoned me? Yeah. Surprise, surprise. I abandoned you 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> On December 8th, after a 19-day trial, Jonaris was found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. No way. <laughs> this is the end? <laughs> Damn, that's so fast. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Brief Case, The Rolex Murderer. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Please don't ever kill anyone for Rolex. It's okay, you know. There are a lot of reasonably priced mid-range watches that are like quite pretty, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. not a Rolex. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at a briefcase underscore, and do join us again next week for another briefcase. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.